Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This is the Unplayable Podcast. Sam Ferris here, and on this episode, we hear from Australia fast bowler Josh Hazelwood from Dubai and chat to cricket.com.au's Sheffield Shield bubble boy, Lewis Cameron, who joins us now. Welcome, Lewis. Sam, thanks for having me. Welcome back, Lou. Uh, the third fast roll in a row on this show, not including yourself. We've had Cummins, Abbott, and Hazelwood. That's the New South Wales bowling attack. We need to get some batters on. Yeah, there's a few international wickets uh, between us. So, uh, yeah, maybe some batters in the works. Uh, who have you got lined up, mate? There's lots of Sheffield Shield performers we can pick from, so... Perhaps that's uh, the flavour of next week. But before we get into the show this week uh, and hear from you and Josh Hazelwood, uh, Shane Watson officially announced his retirement late on Tuesday night Australian time. From all formats of cricket, Watto was a two-time AB medalist, dual IPL MVP and captain of Australia in all formats. Lou, I reckon he got judged a little bit harshly on his test numbers alone and probably all the injuries along the way. But... I reckon when you really drill down, he'd have to go close to being Australia's greatest T20 player ever. And he'd be in the mix of being in Australia's greatest one-day team. Uh, that's a strong <laughs> strong team to get into. But, uh, you know, a couple of World Cups and he can do it with bat and ball. How will you remember Shane Watson? Well, yeah, Sam. Uh, I mean, first of all, someone who was treated harshly, probably just because, just the potential of how good he could have been. I mean, we're getting so excited over someone like Cameron Green at the moment. But, I mean, Shane Watson, had, you know, was is equal in terms of the um, – I'm not sure if the hype was, was kind of there when he was kind of coming through the Sheffield Shield. But in terms of someone who could bowl really quickly and, and bat in your top – well, top two, as it, as it ended up being for him. Um, he was judged – and I, I remember – like, I think I remember him as just a, a great – particularly of one-day cricket. Like, his one-day number, it's an average of – of, uh, of 40 and he could also bowl you know an average of 31 um, with the ball too so he was a really really good one day player but I think I reckon he gets overlooked he was also a really good test player and I know all the re- review stuff is the first thing that always gets mentioned when it comes to him but um, you know I mean that shouldn't overshadow a you know a really really solid you know sorry better than solid test career um but I think, yeah, when you ask me what's the thing I'll remember about him, it's just someone who was treated way too harshly by, by the general public, in my opinion. Absolutely. And, you know, he doesn't pick himself. He was just trying his best every game. And in that golden run of his from about 2008 to 2012, uh, there was a period there where he was averaging 50 with the bat and 27 with the ball in Test Match Cricket, opening the batting. So, you know, he didn't get a whole lot of time off his feet. Uh, he scored those back-to-back hundreds in the 2009 Champions Trophy. He was part of the 5-0 whitewash 2015 World Cup. He's got 100 in the IPL final a couple of years ago. I mean, he's got plenty of highlights. got that magnificent 164 or 160-odd not out the MCG to beat England in a one-dayer. I think you're right. I think he 
everybody wanted uh, Shane Watson to be the next Andrew Flintoff. You know, that 2005 Ashes went it all rounder. It was going to be Shane Watson. But uh, he's spoken about burning a lot of mental energy, particularly while he was batting, not being able to, to switch off. Probably why he's only got, only had those four test match hundreds, uh, but you know, greater the one-day game. And I'm sure he'll be in the Hall of Fame uh, sooner rather than later. Yeah, and you talk about mental energy, Sam, and I reckon the thing that he, um, you'd be interested to hear from him, first of all, but but I always thought he struggled with trying to find the balance between being a, a batter and a bowler. And I, I mean, personally, uh, you know, growing up, I always thought his, um, his bowling was so underrated. Like in, in test cricket especially, he was, even when he, even when he lost the yard of pace, he was still so accurate and he could move the ball, um, reverse swing, um, you know, a bit with a new ball. But it, but it always seemed like he he didn't necessarily want to be bowling heaps and heaps of overs where um, where a lot of the time Michael Clark or whoever was captain you know really did and, and he wanted to be opening the batting and you know whether that was his best position or not um, so it's just it's all these little things that kind of it, it also kind of coincided with a um, a bit of a downturn in Australian cricket which. Um, just generally in terms of, you know, it's not his fault. The, the talent just wasn't there compared to the previous generation. So um, what a, like, what a fascinating career and the, and the postscript to it of um, of just being a dominant BBL player, a dominant IBL player. Um, it, it's really, it's, it's kind of career you could um, almost make a musical about. <laughs> Who would play Shane Watson in a musical? Well, he, I, I reckon he could. I mean, he's got a bit of flair right. about him. You know, he's, he's got the he's got the podcast himself, so he's kind of um, he's already dipped his toes in the maybe not the acting field, but he, he's a performer, so it wouldn't be that much of a stretch for him, would it? Probably not. It's quite ironic too that a guy that had so many injuries outlasted so many players. He basically played for twenty years. That's a great point. So, congratulations to Shane Watson. He finishes up over there in the IPL, playing for the Chennai Super Kings. One of his CSK teammates. Is Josh Hayeswood, who I spoke to a few days ago. This is before we knew that Wado was retiring. I spoke to Josh about preparing for India this summer and how he gets the dirt on his teammates. Josh Hayeswood, thanks for coming on the Unplayable Podcast. Good to speak to you again. No worries, mate. All good. First of all, how's the IPL been over there in the UAE with Chennai? Uh, I was obviously a little disappointing to the way it finished up for Chennai. Well, maybe not the way it finished up, but just through the... Through the middle, I think we struggled to get maybe the right balance or, um, yeah, I think the Chennai group has been really good for the last, well, since they were, um, since the tournament started, really, the last eight to ten years. So, um, I guess guys are getting to the end of their careers and uh, we had quite a few, few of the older heads in the team and a few experienced guys. But, um, yeah, just a little bit off the off the pace, I think, through that start and, and middle periods. And I guess we found the right balance there towards the end, but... Um, all in all, I think the way the IPL ran was, or still running now, is was really good for, for international cricket, and um, the quality of cricket was fantastic for, for how long some guys had had off, and um, yeah, the, the BCCI and everyone involved did a great job. You're talking about those old fellas. Shane Watson's still running around at 39. <laughs> He's still running around, yeah. I'm still jogging around, um, <laughs> but no, what, what I was great. Um, you know, he's still still got a few runs there in a few of the games and, and showed some of the class that he's, you know, everyone knows he has. And, um, yeah, as I said, they've had a great run the last 10 years and um, all good things come to an end sometimes. How's it been teaming up back with Watto and playing alongside guys like Faf Duplessis and MS Daney? Um, yeah, it was, it was really good, um, to be honest. Like around, even around training and obviously around games, just to 
to see how they go about it. And, um, you know, MS was, was fantastic, um, very relaxed character and um, pretty much left up to you and, and had a few words of wisdom here and there. But, um, yeah, he's he's been obviously a fantastic player for, for Chennai and, and India and um, it was awesome to, to play a few games with him. How about Faf to keep his shirt on for most of it? I guess it's hot <laughs> over there. Uh, yeah, you can just turn on for the most part. Um, obviously, I've only ever played against Faf, so um, until until this tour, which was um, it was great to get to know him and um, see how good a guy he is off the field as well. So um, yeah, a good character. Do you guys bring up any old matches, any old rivalries? <laughs> uh, we we discussed a few um, <laughs> over the last few months. Uh, there's been some pretty good discussions. A few were heated a little bit, but um, that nah, was it was all good fun. Very good. You only played the three matches, uh, but you played pretty well. What are you going to take away from this experience? Um, yeah, we obviously obviously got a, a little opportunity there through the middle. I guess it's it's very tough, I think, to get the balance right of, of what Indian players go with what overseas, and that's probably the, the biggest battle for for the coaching captain, I think, to get right. Um, you know, sometimes one change brings two and, and sometimes three, so it's it can be tough with, with injuries and, and form to get that right balance, but... Um, I was obviously happy to play a few games. I would love to play a few more, but um, that's how it ended up being. And I think just being around training with a, a different, um, I guess, a different group, a different playing group, different coaching group, um, just working on a few different things, that, whether it was the new ball or at death, just you know, adding to that repertoire. And, um, yeah, I really enjoyed the time. Because how many different like change-up balls would you have? Oh, probably three or four. Um, but I guess at the start of the tournament, those those change-ups weren't really working. It was quite a – the wickets were really nice pace. Um, so I guess it was about um, probably where you're bowling, not not sort of what delivery. So it was, you know, a big focus on wide Yorkers at the end, um, staying out of those hitting arcs of, of those quality players um, in the other team. So it's – and I think as the tournament's gone on, those slow balls are probably coming into effect now. So it's – the wickets have certainly changed throughout the last, you know, couple of months, and um, gotten a lot drier and slower. And dew um, and dew was a big factor as well. So, um, yeah, learn learn a fair bit, which was good. Not sure how the um, biosecurity bubble works over there for you guys, but have you had a chance to catch up with any of your Aussie teammates? Not really, to be honest. We pretty much after every game, I guess there's the little groups on the field. Um, you know, the Aussies catching up with each other, and the Poms and and the South Africans and Kiwis. So it's um. It's a good sort of little half an hour after the game to, to catch up with each other and check in with each other and see how everyone's going. And, um, yeah, obviously you do that twice with each team and that's probably enough for some guys. Um, <laughs> <laughs> too much time with them. But, no, it was, it was really good sort of the way it went. We obviously have to keep our distance a little bit. But, um, yeah, that's the, that's the nature of the beast at the moment. Now, last time we spoke to you on this podcast was the Ashes Revisited series where you told us how you had the pleasure of taking some cash from your teammates playing cards during that tour. <laughs> have you been playing cards over there? And if so, who have you fleeced? <laughs> um, no, no fleecing this time. No <laughs> no cards. Um, I think our support staff at Chennai, they had a poker night um, a few times during the tournament and obviously my is in that group and... Um, He's a very safe player, I believe, was the word going around. But um, Stephen Fleming and and the rest of the guys um, playing poker a few nights a week. Um, I think plenty of cash passed through, plenty of hands. So it was um, good to hear those stories. What a surprise that Mr. Cricket is conservative. He's the safest <laughs> bloke going around. Exactly right. 
So uh, you wouldn't have played against all the teams, obviously, but you've seen them all up close. Who's your tip to take out the title? Oh, it's a good question. Um, obviously, Mumbai have probably played the best over the these first, um, I guess, round games. Um, they've got some good good depth in both batting and bowling. Uh, probably the most professional sort of outfit at the moment. Um, oh, to be honest, I thought Rajasthan were going to go really well at the start and um, they just faded away. You know, the, the overseas players they had were phenomenal and um, I guess it's probably more so the Indians who who end up being the difference, I guess. Um, so I, I think Mumbai is probably the tip. I'd like to see Delhi Delhi do well. I think they've got a, they've got a really good bunch of guys and a, and a good side. So hopefully Delhi can get up. And Pat Cummins was averaging close to 100 with the ball, but he's come back late. So he's going to be prime for this white ball series against India soon. Yeah, that's right. That is, I think he, in some of those games, just going back and watching, he, you know, he can bowl really well and, and get none for 25. And then, you know, even he admitting last night didn't bowl the best and got four fast. So it's, it's, it's the way it goes sometimes in, in T20 cricket. And um, I think probably the... If you're bowling at the end of a game and, and you're missing a Yorkers or, or whatever you're working on, that's when you get your wickets. And I think if you nail those things down, um, you might not go for runs, but I don't think you get the amount of wickets. So it's it can work in both in both favours. If you're, you're missing execution, sometimes that's rewarding on the wicket tally. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's always different and it's hard work. You hear a lot of the old school players and commentators say, why don't current players bowl more Yorkers? Mm-hmm. Are the Yorkers still the number one ball at the back end of a game or are there different scenarios that determine which delivery you bowl? Oh, I think it's it's different each game, to be fair. I, I think the first half of the tournament, I, I think bowlers probably didn't back themselves to bowl enough Yorkers maybe through lack of match practice or not confident in executing, but I think that was probably the go-to ball in that first first half of the tournament when the wickets were really good. Um, slow balls were sliding on. Anything length was just disappearing, so... Whereas now, I think it's probably changed a little bit. Um, slow balls are coming into effect a little bit more, especially in the day games or the team bowling first. Um, but I think once that dew's in, it's, once that dew comes into into factor late at night, it's very tough to hit Yorker. I think with a sort of the ball goes a bit like a keg of soap. Um, but that's probably the ball once it is dewy to try and nail. Um, it's probably the hardest ball to hit. So I'm not sure whether it's wide or it's at the stumps. I think it depends on who's batting and. I guess the fear is if you miss it, it's it's probably going over the fence. So that's probably the danger with it. But um, it's still the still the best ball, I, I believe. So you've been away from home since August, I reckon late August. So how are you coping going with bubble to bubble? Um, I've found it all right, to be honest, so far. Um, you know, there's certain things to keep you busy, I guess. We, we had a very tight setup at Chennai um, at the hotel. We sort of only got out for training and, and matches um, and then inside the hotel was we had the pool for a few hours a day we had the gym for a few hours um, we had a pretty good setup in our team room with um, table tennis and pool and all the all the usual culprits so um, yeah getting my getting my skill level up in those games that's for sure um, plenty of playstation so yeah the time sort of it's it's going going pretty well at the moment I guess the longer it goes is is the challenge um, how long you can keep going Obviously, two weeks once we get back to Australia as well, which will be quite tough. But I think once that first one day rolls around, I think in late November, I think it should be should be a lot easier and, and more cricket. I think the time goes quicker. So, um, must to focus on once we get back to Australia. 
you've been in a couple of bubbles now. What are the must-haves? What are the things that you reckon you really need to, to get through it? For me, it's been probably the PlayStation so far. Um, <laughs> playing plenty of plenty of Call of Duty with a few of the other guys um, online. So that's been that's been passing the time. Um, I think just time in the in the team room as well with with whoever it is, you know, playing those games or, or watching the other IPL games, um, passing time, getting to know whether it's the Indian guys or, or the other overseas guys. Um, the Chennai staff was really good as well. Um, all very experienced guys and, um, you know, really good to talk to. So I think it's it's little things like that that pass the time. And um, I think once we're back in Australia, I think it'll be, be pretty cruisy, hopefully. And it must be tough being away from your families, but having been on long Ashes tours, for example, I guess you're kind of used to it to some degree. Yeah, I think that's where it's it's probably different for us than the, say, AFL and Rugby League guys who have never really experienced it. Um, we obviously do those long tours of, of England and, and even the subcontinent, which is pretty much locked down anyway, to be honest. We're, we're stuck in hotels and, and things like that. So um, we're probably a bit more equipped to, to deal with it. And um, I guess... It'll get challenging the further we go, but um, yeah, little breaks here and there will, will help if we can get home and see loved ones and see friends and family. But um, yeah, that's just the way it is at the moment. So you've now got to hang around until the end of the tournament, right, to get on that charter flight back to Australia. So what are you going to do for the next week? <laughs> um, we've got a little bit of training um, penciled in. Plus, I think we're doing our best to try and get on the golf course, which will be fantastic. That'll that'll break up the week. Um, but I think just catching up with the Aussie guys here. Um, I know Steve Steve Smith and, and Andrew McDonald and Co came in last night after the Rajasthan loss, and um, just be good to catch up with them. And um, yeah, I've got a little bit of bowling to do to keep the workloads up. But um, I think it'll be a good sort of week to get away from cricket as much as we can. Um, you know, spend some time by the pool chatting and, and maybe have a sneak in a few beers here and there. So with the, with the training, will you guys, will you Aussie guys get together and train against each other in preparation for that white ball series? Yeah, I believe so. I, I think there's certainly an option there to, to be out to the ICC and, and have, a, have a training session. Um, the nets have been fantastic. The facility has been great throughout the whole IPL, to be fair, to have, I think, best part of six teams at at the same facility, um, the nets have been phenomenal. So hopefully we can jump in there and, and squeeze in a bowl here and there. But um, I think most of the guys, to be honest, will, will be keen to get away from cricket for a week. Have you got any red or pink balls with you? <laughs> no, I don't. I think it's all all white at the moment. Um, I've bowled plenty with, with red and pink over the years, so um, there's no, no danger there. So when you get back home, you're in the white ball bubble with Australia's one day and T20 sides. I think you get out of quarantine the day of the first one day, right? Or the night before, or it's it's pretty close, right? So uh, will you be right to play that game given you've been in quarantine? Like it, how much time do you need to get ready for a series like that? And it's going to be so different without being part of the whole squad. Yeah, it's, it's going to be different. That's for sure. It's um, sort of the way the last few months have been going. It's just go with the flow and, and plans do change. But, um, yeah, as you mentioned at the moment, it's I think we finish up quarantine on the 26th. I believe is the first game the 27th, yeah. I believe. Um, so we get out of quarantine that night, the night before the game, and we'll move across to the other hotel and um, game on the day after. So we're obviously controlling in, in quarantine. So um, there's no doubt we'll get enough enough work in there for sure um, during that two weeks in in lockdown, in quarantine, and then obviously move into the, the game. So um, it will be different and 
I guess playing as a team, not not being trained with a team uh, for the two weeks prior will be something different and a challenge, but I think we'll be fine. What do you need to do to get yourself up to one day international level? Oh, I think the intensity is it's it's not a not an issue. I think we've been obviously playing IPL, which is the highest intensity, and then it's probably just getting a few more overs up um, workload wise, being ten overs a game, and I think we play you know. Best part of three games in, in a week usually is, is a one-day series and that can be quite taxing. So um, getting those workloads up and, and being fit enough to cope with those demands. Yeah, and given the compressed schedule, you might not get a red or pink ball game before that first test in Adelaide, but there is a tour match on the same time as the T20s. So you know, depending on where the series is going, would you be up, to, up for playing that, that three-day game um, and get, that, get a first class or, or a three-day game under your belt? Yeah, I think it's... Uh, I think it's it's not essential, I don't think, but I, I think it's um, it's certainly valuable to get. I mean, in the in the past, say five or six years, I've always played one shield game basically before a test series, and I think one game's um, certainly enough. I think I could probably get away with one big day if that if that makes sense, where I bowl you know best part of eighteen to twenty overs in a day and and field the whole day. And I think once you do that, I think you're pretty close. So I think it's. Three one days is you know in one week is also a very good um, sort of marker to see where you're at. You know you're bowling 30 overs at international intensity. You're fielding 150 overs. You've got a bit of travel in there as well, so it's it's pretty close um, to, to a test match. But obviously that back to back days bowling and um, taking those 20 wickets is a different story. So um, certainly would love to get some red ball in at some stage beforehand, whether that's that training, having big days of training or, or in that um, tour match or four-day match. So we'll see how it pans out. Yeah, well, I guess it's a tough one because I'm sure you always want to play for Australia and put your hand up for that. But at the same time, you've got a big test summer. So I guess it's trying to balance that and try and find the best result for you and for the, the team at large. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, you always want to be available to play for Australia whenever that is. But... You know, if it comes at the expense of, of a test series, then you sort of got to weigh up those options. But I think cricket, cricket's cricket, and if you if you're playing, you know, one day cricket, T20 cricket, um, you know, at least the intensity is there. It's just about having those those big days, as I mentioned. So um, yeah, it's it's a challenge, but we'll we'll see what works. And I imagine there'll be a fairly large squad for the test series, just so all bases are covered, probably like a an Ashes tour or somewhere overseas. So you might even have a, a trial match or like an intra-squad game, even if it's just for one day. And those things can get pretty heated, especially if guys are going for spots. <laughs> they certainly can. Um, I believe that, that game in England we played last time was over in, the wicket was pretty spicy and, and the game was over in, in two days. So um, things can get heated, as you said. Um, even just watching a little bit of the Sheffield Shield the last few weeks, it can get heated between between test teammates. So it's um, it's good to see that intensity. And, um, yeah, I, I think we'll certainly be out in the middle a fair bit rather than in the nets come red ball training. And, um, you know, I think that's valuable. When you go from white ball to red and pink ball, is there a trigger or is there something that you actively change to get ready for um, Test match cricket? I wouldn't say I wouldn't say there's any trigger. It's probably just the big one for me is probably just patience. Um, for coming from a lot of white ball cricket, you know, you, you, you're probably looking for wickets more so. You know, you're bowling your change up to Yorkers. Um, you know, you're not bowling more than 10 overs, so you're trying to make an impact, I guess. Whereas once you get that red or pink ball in your hand, then... Patience is a big one for me, and it's just about building building pressure. So it's um, 
yeah, playing the long game, I guess, and, and not getting too impatient with the way I'm, way I'm bowling. And that's that's sort of how my wickets come about is through patience. So uh, apart from that, I think it's, you know, business as usual, taking care of things at my end with, with my action and my run-up and make sure everything's in a really good place and, you know, the other end take care of itself. I was going to say, and it would have been taking care of your body because you missed a large chunk of last time I threw injury. Yeah, that's right. It was, a, it was an interesting one last year with, with doing a, a tiny hemi sort of tear, I guess, and, and missing missing two and a half test matches was um, it was frustrating and sort of didn't couldn't really put a finger on, you know, how that or why that came about. Um, so, yeah, just about maintaining your body as best you can through these periods. And um, one thing there is, is is probably a little bit less travel um, than other times. You know, what we've noticed through the IPL is obviously there's only three grounds being used and we're not travelling all around India. So I guess that's that's one positive that can come out of the, the COVID situation. But, um, yeah, keeping in in the best shape you possibly can is, is key. You've been keeping uh, in good shape, but have you been keeping an eye on the Indian players you set to come up against while you've been over there? Um, yes and no. Uh, we've obviously, it's probably more so just looking at the young guys coming through. Um, it seems that every team, you know, has two or three young guys that, that pop up every IPL and, and do really well. So um, just keeping an eye on a few of the young batsmen. And um, I know Paddy's been playing with, with Shubman Gill. Um, throughout this IPL, so he'll be one to watch, you know, potentially come come the tour. And um, there's always a young batter who stands up, so just figuring him out as quick as possible and um, working out a plan. In regards to the, uh, the Border Gavaska series, I mean, it's a given you guys want to win every series, but given they beat you last time on home soil, is there a little bit extra motivation there to get that trophy back? Yeah, absolutely. And it, it still seems pretty fresh, I guess, because it's only... You know, it was only two summers ago that that, that happened, and um, you know we've we've come a long way since then as a as a test team, and not only our bowling but our batting's very stable now, and um, everyone's pretty confident with where they're at um, within the team and, and and their cricket as well. So it'll be it'll be a exciting test series, and um, yeah, I guess a little bit of a payback's due, and um, but we've got to go about it the right way, I guess, and and um, not get ahead of ourselves and, and play that play that style of cricket and play good cricket from, from day one. Because the first couple of test matches last series was pretty close, wasn't it? You guys lost by 30-odd runs in Adelaide, got the wood over them there in Perth and then lost in Melbourne before the washout in Sydney. So you're just going to know it's going to be such a hard-fought close series, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously it's it's well known who we were missing last time around and and to still get, you know, as close as we did, um, probably apart from the Melbourne test, um, you know, missing that... Missing Adelaide Test by twenty or thirty runs, and then getting the win up in Perth, you know, could have been could have been two 0 with two to play. To be fair, and um, credit to India, they they obviously played really well. Um, probably their bowlers, to be fair, and out bowled us um, for the majority of the time. And um, you know, they're going to bring a, a really good attack again this time around. So good test for our batters, and and, and hopefully we can get our feet up um, in between innings a little bit more than last time, and um, come out fresh, ready to go. You've got to figure out a way to get out Pajara. He batted forever last last time. I know, I know. It's, um, it still haunts me the, the time I got him out of Adelaide and no one appealed. That was, um, that's still pretty frustrating because he was on 70 and he ended up getting 130, 140. So, um, yeah. So if he nicks on this time, I'll definitely have a look at um, DRS. <laughs> and he's a bit old school, isn't he? Because he doesn't play the short forms of the game and he bats long time. He's sort of a throwback to that old school test player. Yeah, he certainly is. He... Certainly, just goes about wearing us down. To be honest, I think um, facing a lot of balls early, 
sort of lets those stroke makers around him play their natural game and, and he sort of ties us out and, and then cashes in late in the day. So pretty old school sort of test player and um, hopefully if there's a little bit of bounce and pace in the wickets, um, that, that can bring him unstuck. So hope for that and, um, yeah, hopefully we might come up with a different plan, but I think the plan was right. It's just, just outlasting that patience word again. Yeah, it's not going to be quite the same atmosphere with reduced crowds, but at least there's going to be crowds, hopefully, at these games. Does that uh, play in your favour? Because, you know, sometimes in Australia with an Indian <laughs> team touring, it feels like you're in uh, uh, in Mumbai, not Melbourne. Yeah, that's right. Can, uh, certainly in India have their fans throughout the world. Um, I think it'll be whatever crowd we get will be certainly a boost for us. Um, and a boost for everyone in general, to be fair, after playing in front of, you know, empty, empty stadiums, you know, for the best part of the last few months, um, you know, 5,000 is going to feel like a huge crowd. So whatever we can get in, in the, uh, at the test venues or at the one-day venues will be um, very much appreciated and, and welcome to be good fun. Have you been paying much attention to the Sheffield Shield? Uh, your New South Wales Blues scraped home against Queensland the other day. Yeah, I've been uh, keeping a, an eye on there. Um, certainly a close game. Um, it was good to see Starkey back playing uh, Shield cricket again and getting uh, getting a few cobwebs out um, in the Red Bull fixture. So it's great to see the Blues get up, obviously, and um, in a very tight game against Queensland. Um, I guess it's been tough playing on the on the pub grounds, and the wickets have been you know quite flat and haven't really been breaking up. So it's it's great to get a result, and I guess that game was. That, game was so close and you know there's only an hour or so left in the game um produced a, a good contest between bat and ball there's been some big scores josh right some young batters in will pukowski and cameron green who's been named in that white ball squad have you had much to do with cameron not much to do with cameron no obviously toured with with puck on the aussie a trip last well winter now i don't know <laughs> most everything's a blur but um yeah on the aussie a trip to england and he was he was pretty good on that tour to be fair he Sort of his first trip away from home and playing cricket in a in a different country. Um, yeah, he held himself um, pretty well. So he's certainly obviously a future star for Australia. It's just a matter of of when, I guess. And I think it's also important to to really get behind the Test guys who are already in the team as well. And um, we obviously were unbeaten last summer. Um, we haven't played since then, so there was some good opportunities and probably not so good opportunities for the batters last summer with with Mana scoring so many runs with. With Davey, um, guys down the order sort of got had to go out and play for the team, probably not for themselves as much. So, um, hope that gets taken into account and cause we stick with the same team at the moment. But there's certainly some some guys knocking on the door, which is fantastic to see. Cameron Green's been piling the runs, but he didn't pile them on when you played against him. <laughs> uh, yeah, unfortunately, he came up against. Uh, we had a full strength team um, at the SCG, and I, to be fair, I don't think he'd seen. Uh, reverse swing, being from Perth, um, where it's not really well known to happen. Um, SCG, we got a bit of reverse swing, being a, an abrasive draw wicket, and um, yeah, just happened to leave a few deliveries um, that came back in on the stumps from Paddy and myself. So um, definitely a learning curve for him. But I think you know, over this, over how many games he's played now, the amount of runs he's scored, um, it's probably covered all conditions now and, and all bowlers. So it's um, it's certainly a great record so far, and. Obviously, bowling again now is, is pretty exciting to see and um, certainly we'd like a bit of help on the bowling front from time to time um, in the test team. So uh, if we can get an all-rounder in, um, who's warranted his, his selection, then that's fantastic. As long as he doesn't come at your place, hey, Josh? 
That's right. That's right. And he's two metres tall, bowls 140 and can hit 200. Not a bad, um, not a bad setup. Yeah, he's going all right. Um, now, I'm not suggesting that these guys will uh, debut against India this summer, but you debuted against India six years ago. It's gone by pretty quick. Uh, what are your memories of that time? Uh, yeah, it's, um, you know, six years ago, it goes very quickly, as you said. Um, I remember just how hot it was that first day, to be fair. <laughs> That's sort of something that, that stuck in my mind. And if, if test cricket was going to be, every day was going to be that hard, I didn't know how long I was going to last, to be honest. Um, scorching hot, and it might be again this summer being Brisbane test is in January, so it's going to be a, another challenge in itself. Um, but I think just coming up against you know the the lineup that India have the batters um, you know just coming up against them in a test match um, it's just a fantastic challenge first of all and something you sort of mark yourself on of, of how you're going and um, you know the bowl against Virat and MS and and goals like that in my first series um, it's pretty exciting and then to get them out is is even better so it's it's a long time ago now, but it's um, some fond memories. We'll touch back on that game in a second, but um, what would you tell yourself now? Like if you if you could go back and tell that Josh Hazelwood was debuting about what to expect or just a piece of advice, what would you give them? Because, you know, who knows, maybe some of these young guys will get a game this summer. Oh, I think being a bowler, I would just say go, I'd go back and tell myself, get ready for some pain. Get re- Get ready for being sore for, you know, best part of the whole year. Um, just time and time again, you know, waking up days, you know, three, four and five and, and having to bowl again. Um, it's just that it's very hard work. It's very hard work as a quick, um, probably especially in Australia where we, we bowl quite a bit. The wickets are, are pretty flat. Um, conditions can get hot. So it's it's very tough work and that's that's probably just one thing I'd, I'd go back and tell myself is get ready for some, <laughs> for some hard work. I thought you might have said enjoy it or, you know, live it up or look around. But you should... <laughs> I certainly enjoyed it when I was, I certainly enjoyed it when I was playing and I've always, I've always done that. So, um, but yeah, the one thing that sticks out is, is how hard physically it is um, to just keep playing. I guess that's uh, not a warning, but something to look out for someone like Cameron Green who has had back injuries. He's only 21. I mean, you fast bowlers would know more than anyone. It, it takes a long time to get your body um, mature and, and, hardened I guess for test match bowling so you don't want to put too much expectation on such a young fast bowler look at Paddy Cummins he debuted at what 17 or 18 and it took him five years to get back in the team absolutely I mean you, you know you start to feel the difference I guess over the years of of how your body does adapt and it's probably not until 25, 6, 7 even that you feel very confident in your body um, your bones have hardened up your muscles are primed everything's in a really good place so it's it's such a long time to get to that position and I guess with Cameron scoring so many runs, he can take his time with his with his bowling. He's not going to get forced into to bowling, you know, 20 overs a day here and there. It's just a matter of just ticking it over and, and building that up very slowly and um, not getting carried away, I guess. Um, he's scoring plenty of runs, so he's going to get picked in, in teams. It's just a, a bonus, I guess, his bowling. He can just do the donkey overs that Mitch Marsh used to do. But we hope to see, <laughs> hope to see Mitch Marsh back fit and playing again. The graveyard shift. <laughs> That's when it hurts. That's when the real pain comes. <laughs> on, the, on the scoreboard and your body, I'd imagine. That's right. You get a ball that's, that's 70 overs old. And yeah. What do I do with this? Uh, you can't even shine at this series. <laughs> All right. Back to your debut. Can you name the five batsmen you dismissed for your first test fifer? I'll have a go. Um, uh, Donny, Coley, uh, 
Ashwin, Rahane. See, I only really got four wickets because the first one was uh, caught behind off the helmet. So uh, I'll take four and a half for Jara. Yeah, for Jara, correct. Yeah. <laughs> Good job. That's right. It was a little bit dodgy. Where did uh, did Tony yeah. he catch it for the last one? Or caught behind? Uh, no, he sort of went to leave the ball and it just ran off the face to the keeper. So I think four caught behinds and a caught first slip. And then you got him LBW second innings. Yeah, yeah, got him both innings, yeah. Are you good with that stuff? You know, McGrath was always fabled about knowing he could name, if you give him a number, he could name the batsman. Are you good with that type of stuff? No, not not really, to be honest. I think that first game just stands out a little bit from the others. But I guess there's there's spells and games and, and wickets that stand out. But, um, yeah, there's there's a lot in between that sort of just get a bit blurry with, with other ones. And, um, no, hopefully – well, Pidge had a lot more to remember than anyone else <laughs> over 500. So he's done well to remember those. I reckon he was always a couple off. He knew the big ones, but, uh, you know, number 331, I don't know how he got that. If he just, if he just did Atherton, he'd probably been close. <laughs> well, that's right. And the thing is, no one's checking. He could have said anyone's name right. and he'd go, yeah, all right, we'll believe you. We'll get you out on this one. Now, is it true you've got no social media presence, no Twitter, no Instagram, none of that stuff? That's true. That's true. Okay, because Pat Cummins a few weeks ago said that whenever – one of your teammates posts something interesting on Instagram or Twitter, right? you're always one of the first to bring it up on the group WhatsApp chat. So you have to explain yourself. So I think WhatsApp's just a, a filter. I'm in a, obviously a lot of groups on WhatsApp and whether it's my mates back home or, or a group of mates who I played cricket with from back home, they, they just filter through everything. So <laughs> um, it, it's sort of an automatic filter. I, I don't have to put up with all the negative rubbish chat that goes on. I just get all the good funny stuff and, um, certainly, if there's a picture of Paddy coming up in a, you know, in a, what was that magazine he did? Was it um, in style or something? Yeah. <laughs> if there's a, if there's an embarrassing photo or something going through, I always get it through on my phone. So, just pass it on to the WhatsApp group, and um, we have a good laugh about it. So, Paddy's been the culprit lately, and um, it's been some good fun. So you've got all your little mates just sending you through all the good stuff, <laughs> doing all the dirty oh, yeah. work. They don't miss a beat, yeah. Um, it's good it's good work fantastic well mate thank you so much for coming on and all the best this summer no worries mate cheers thank you Lewis that was Josh Hazelwood who's going to be a key figure for the Aussies this summer against India but we're going to focus now on the Marsh Sheffield Shield three more games uh, in round three Uh, one absolute thriller a one wicket win to New South Wales over Queensland all the other teams uh, played out some draws. Tasmania drew with Western Australia and South Australia held on against the Vicks. Let's go through our categories, Lou. And I know this week you've done your research, so you've got an answer for each one of them. Let's start with our best knock, and there's plenty to choose from in what was really a, a batting dominator round. Will Bukowski got 255 not out. Marcus Harris with him, 239. Trav Head, 151. Sam Whiteman continues his good form with 118. Marnus Labashane, another 100 for him, 117. Sean Marsh, the Evergreen Sean Marsh, he'd be about as old as Shane Watson, 115. And Cameron Bancroft, 104. But Lou, you were there. Who had the best knock around three? Yeah, a few honourable mentions there. There are a lot of really good batting performances. The one, um, I'm not sure if you mentioned him there, Liam Scott batted uh, 162 balls to help save the game for, uh, for South Australia along with Travis Head. But, you know, you can't go past it. In terms of best innings for the round, Will Bukowski, um batting for 386 balls uh, across 
days. So a bit of day one, all of day two, and a bit of a fair bit of day three, and then he was out in the field either side of that inning. So to be out there the whole time, uh, to make 255 runs, uh, didn't quite get the win. Um, maybe he could have come on and bowled a little bit to, to cap it off, but um, there's been a lot said about about Will and um, how he's gone over the last few days and how he's gone over the last few years in terms of dealing with some, uh, you know, first of all, some mental health stuff, uh, which has obviously been really challenging and he's been really brave in discussing it. Um, and also some you know, concussion issues, which um, you know, must be two two really difficult um, yeah. and topical kind of, kind of things in cricket today. So um, it, it's really great. I think everyone is kind of barracking for, for Will and wants to see him do well. You'd have to think uh, he might not be in the 11, but he'll have to be in that, that test squad for the Aussies. You'd, you'd imagine he'll play one, maybe two of those tour matches against the, uh, against the Indians coming up. And then, geez, the fact that he can open the batting and we know he can bat in the middle order, it just makes him so selectable for the selectors. Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, the selectors now will want to see him open the batting for a few more games. It's so unfortunate that Victoria has been... Um, relegated, to, not relegated, but you know they're only playing you know two games in this Shield bubble. It would be great to see him play all four and um, play against a few different teams, and um, and you know maybe face Mitchell Stark for example in one game where um, against a new ball. So just you know just a real test. Not saying South Australia aren't a test at all, but um, it just would have been good to to see see that over an extended period of time. But yeah, he might well get that in the in the Aussie A stuff and. Um, you know, he might get to face Boomer um, with a new ball, you know, even before the test series. So, um, yeah, he offers flexibility. Well, I don't, I, yeah, in terms of him, you know, bolting into that first test squad, I reckon that the team is reasonably settled, but um, you, you definitely have to think he's, he's around the mark. Lou, while you've gone Pekoski for best knockout of round three, I'm actually going with Harry Conway's four ball, none, not out to prevent just the third tie in Sheffield Shield history and allow Sean Abbott hit the winning runs the next over against Queensland. <laughs> For fans who haven't seen it, I don't know how you'll be able to find it. Uh, go back and check out the live stream. But the first ball he shaped up to Mitch Swepson, who had just taken his fifth wicket and tenth for the match. He played this audacious back foot cover drive through backward point. He could not have come any farther away from hitting it. It was just, he was just a shot full of nerves, but he survived the over and New South Wales got the win. So, Harry Conway, you've been doing with the ball the past couple of seasons, but you're my best knocker around with a bat. I don't know if you saw even before that, Sam, when the when Abbott and Nathan Lyon were slowly creeping the, the score closer and closer to victory, he was just n- so nervous. And I couldn't – I was sitting up in the Karen Rolton Pavilion and I couldn't um, – couldn't actually see him because they're directly underneath where I was sitting. But the live stream um, had this great footage of, of Harry waiting to bat. And he was kind of sitting, he almost like went uh, to the other team's dugout where, where they were sitting. And obviously, um, you know, there was no one there or just, you know, an assistant coach or two because they're all out, Queensland are all out fielding. And he was over there and he was doing like stretches. He was kind of like doing this one where he had his leg, you know, poking out the back and it was, it was just gold. Like he's just a, he's a real character and he blocked out the over and, um, and New South Wales won. What a, uh, maybe you have a bit more to say about that later on. All right. Our best with the ball. Uh, Boland, Scotty Boland took six for 61 for the Vicks. Trent Copeland took five for 17 from 19 overs. Just absurd figures. Mitch Swepson, 5 for 74 and 5 for 97 to complete 
a 10 wicket haul, the first in what 41 years for Queensland for a Queensland spinner. And Lance Morris with a maiden five for 94 um, against Tasmania, getting out the, the test captain, Tim Payne. Now, Les, now Lou, who's your uh, the best with the ball? Is this an easy one? Yeah, it is an easy choice. I mean, honourable mention, first of all, to Mark Steckity, who just ran in and bowled bouncer after bouncer for Queensland against New South Wales. It was just, he, he only picked up two or three wickets for the game, but he barely picked one in New South Wales, half of the pitch. Um, it was just great to watch. But his teammate, yeah, Mitch Swepson, um, just unreal. He's been unreal in this in this two games that he's played so far in the bubble. Um, there's so much control at the minute and all his wickets, I mean, none of them are like, you know, sky catches and, and things like that. Like he's genuinely getting, um, he bowled Abbott with an absolute beauty from around the wicket uh, on day, I'm going to say day two, I think it was. And then um, getting a lot of catches that slip. Um, just creating a lot of chances and, you know, kept Queensland in that game. Um, so, yeah, well done, Mitch Swepson. And if there was any doubt heading into the start of the season who the number two spinner in the country is behind Nathan Lyon, it's Mitch Swepson now, isn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, he's definitely the best leg spinner in the country. I think Ash Agar's bowled really well for, for WA, so I wouldn't completely discount him. And, and the Vicks all rave about John Holland, um, so I think they'd have something to say about it. So... I mean, the fact that, you know, you've got three guys there um, who are all, are all, you know, really good options. Um, but, yeah, I mean, in terms of just providing a point of difference to Lyon, I mean, Lyon, so if you're going to play two in a test match, which I don't think they, they would against India um, any stage this summer, I'd be really surprised. But, you know, thinking forward, Lyon's just got so much control now. Um, that you can, if you were going to play a second spinner, you could afford to play someone who's a bit more attacking, like Swepson, I think. So, just from that point of view, I think he he'd probably be um, probably in the in the box seat for that. Yeah. All right, Al didn't see that coming moment. I'll start off with this one, Lou, and I'm going with Cameron Green striking with the ball pretty much immediately. Uh, I thought he'd work his way into the match with the ball, but he just takes wickets straight away. Uh, if he's not making runs, he's taking wickets. He bowled only the 15 overs on restriction, uh, but geez, he looked good and he created chances, felt like almost every delivery. So what a product he's going to be when he's up and firing and on all cylinders and can bat and bowl to his full potential. So uh, Cam Green, you might didn't see that coming moment. What's yours, Lou? Uh, yeah, just on Cam Green, first of all, he, he actually looked like WA's quickest bowler as well, which is um, just saying something. Maybe maybe Lance Morris might have might have shaded him just, but and then Sean Marsh gave him the ball, the, the new ball in the second inning. So, um, gee, like, yeah, I think we've spoken enough on this podcast about how good he's going to be. Uh, what I didn't see, I you know, I didn't see South Australia hanging on, and, and to their credit, um, you know, they, they hung on for a draw against Victoria. I just thought, like, with... Uh, the amount of time they'd spent in the field and just the demoralising. It was only 139 overs, actually, but um, just it must have been so demoralising not being able to get a wicket for 486 runs and um, you know some drop drop catches in there. I'm not sure how many, um, but I, I did see at least one, and um, you know that just must have been incredibly tough. So for them to kind of have that mental resilience to then come out on that last day and, and even a bit of day three to just bat and bat and bat. And hold out a you know not a, not a super experienced Victorian attack, but um, you know you've got a great spinner in John Holland and um, a really experienced you know, fast bowler in, in Scott Boland. Um, yeah, I wouldn't have expected SA to be able to hang on like that. So uh, props to them. 
All right, our did see that coming moments. Lou, what was your did see that coming moment? Something that you probably read in the tea leaves a little bit earlier on. I don't know if I read in the tea leaves, but what didn't surprise me was Sean Marsh just dominating this competition again. Um, he's just, it's funny, like he just kind of, he just kind of gets it done every every year. And it always seems to be around the time when they're in these early rounds when we're speculating about who might be in the death squad and, and things like that. Um, he's up to 350 runs in his first three games. He's averaging 87. Um, I don't think they're going to turn back to Sean Marsh, but um, yeah, he's just, uh, he's just not, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. Like it's just, he's an enigma, Sean Marsh. Yeah, I think he's one of those guys that is too good for Sheffield Shield level and probably not quite good enough at test match level. Uh, but he's, even saying that, he's played some of the most sublime knocks. One of the best things I've ever seen live was his 100 in Centurion in 2014 against Philander, Mornay Morkel and Dale Stainer on a spicy pitch. I mean, he just looked like he was batting on a flat road against those guys. It was, and there was an all-rounder, McLaren, I think, was in there playing. He just looked... Um, unstoppable that game and then sometimes you just can't hit it you know you're right he's an enigma uh my did see that coming moment was the nervy run chase by the blues i thought that target if it had been 20 or 30 more i almost would have put the favor uh given the favoritism to queensland but it's just so tricky those chases on uh, over the last uh, two days um Queens are a very good side. They've got good fast bowls and Swepson, who's in career best form. So uh, I could when I, when that title was was put up, I thought this is going to go down to the wire. I'm not sure it's going to be scores tied at one point, but uh, and uh, and you know one wicket in the bank. But um, it's good well, to that's see. What's a perfect it. target, isn't it? Two hundred, like two hundred and sixty. Just always like any on a regular four day wicket, uh, fourth day wicket. Um, two hundred is just kind of the magic number, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's just, and it's not like one person can dominate. I don't, I don't know. I just feel like it's, yeah, you're right. 200 is a good title and I could see that one coming. What about a got to see that again moment? And before we get to you, there were some incredible catches this round. Curtis Patterson took a screamer at third slip. Uh, that's on cricket.com.au. Check that one out. And go back to Sean Marsh. He just plucked one out of the air threw out the left hand and took a brilliant catch. He was almost surprised. I love those guys, those ones where the guys are kind of shocked that they actually took it, um, especially to the left of a first slip. It's kind of the keeper's catch, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's just um, thrown out the left hand there and taken a catch. So two great catches, which are well worth watching again on cricket.com.au and all the social media channels. What about you, Lou? Well, I've kind of got two. I've got one that you, you can't really see it again in full unless you're going to... Um, well, it'll, it'll make sense when I explain it. Trent Copeland's spell in the first innings, uh, sorry, in the second inning, Queensland second innings was just astonishing. Um, he bowled 14 overs, uh, I think 10, 10 in a row with a new ball, and he only got scored off twice, and he took five wickets in that time. Um, so in terms of seeing it again, I don't know if you're going to watch every single dot ball that he, he built up beautifully, but you can at least watch the five wickets. Um, Trent Copeland was sensational. Um, but the the one that maybe is a little bit more achievable and, and jump back on the, the match centre and, and take a look if um, if anyone gets a chance, which I just did. Uh, Michael Nisa, uh, his run out when the scores were level was just, it was amazing to watch live because you kind of knew like they were eight down um, and you just thought like, you just thought New South Wales was going to win that easily. Like, you know, they with a wicket in hand and as soon as Sean Abbott hit it and you're like, right, 
that's that's New South Wales win. It, it just had that crack about it, and they're all so close. Um, and to see him stop, like to die for length after he's bowled thirty overs and stop it, um, unreal from Michael Nisa. Yeah, he's uh, he's a warrior for sure, and I can see him being in the Test squad as well. Uh, whether he'll get a game or not, it's tough to get to crack those um, New South Wales bowls and James Pattinson. But I tell you what, if you got if you got a run, you'd just know he'd give it a, give it his all, wouldn't he? I hope he. I really hope he gets it to crack one day. Like it's just um, it's actually it's kind of interesting as well. Like you would have thought he's been probably the fifth bowler for a little while. I guess he was maybe the sixth in England during the Ashes when Peter Siddle was still bowling really well over there. You normally think the fifth or sixth bowler fast bowler in Australian cricket normally gets a run in test cricket. If, you, if you're the sixth best or fifth best for that long, um, you probably get a run in a, in a two-year stint of test cricket. But um, he's kind of, his, his peak has kind of coincided with Pattinson and the three New South Wales guys all getting their bodies kind of right at the same time so there haven't been any injuries. Um, and and also the pandemic as well. Like he might have gone to Bangladesh and there'd been an option over there if they if they played. So he's been so unlucky. But I think at some stage we'll see Michael Nisa play Test cricket. And we've got Jai Richardson to come back. So there's another mm-hmm. one who's already played Test cricket who uh, hasn't got much cricket under his belt lately, but he's been there. So he'd be uh, hot on the selectors' minds. Okay, our start of the round, Lou, and you're a big nerd who loves numbers. Uh, give us some stats. I'm such a nerd, Sam. I picked out two. Um, 486 run opening partnership between Pekovsky and Harris is the biggest in Sheffield Shield history, eclipsing Steve Waugh and Mark Waugh, uh, 464. Um, so very well done to them. That was a hell of a, hell of a, well, you know, hell of a partnership from the two of them. But the stat, the other stat that I thought was interesting, just having a look at the leading wicket takers just now, is that two of the top four leading wicket takers are spinners. Um, obviously, Mitch Swepson's number one with 15, and then Ash Agar is uh, is up there at, at uh, in fourth with with 10. And considering he had a you know really good start to the season with the bat as well, um, he's going well. And it's just exciting to see two spinners um, kind of just you know doing doing really well in the early stages. It's um, it's not something you normally see in, in normal shield conditions. Yeah, spin to win. Speaking of shield conditions, our conditions report uh, feels like the pitches have changed again this round. What, is, what was your rate of them, Lou? Yeah, I think um, I think with the weather leading in, it was quite chilly and there was a bit of rain leading into the games. So, and, and that might have coincided as well with the curators wanting to leave a bit more juice in them early. But um, speaking to one or two of the curators, I got the sense that, that maybe um, they didn't want them as juicy as they were or as, as much moisture underneath as they were so that they would maybe break up more and, and do more at the back end. And um, you obviously didn't get that in the WA Tassie game, um, which kind of fizzled out to, to a draw a little bit. Um, so that's, yeah, you know, it's not on the curators or anything. So, um, uh, yeah, and it, and it warmed up really nicely in that round. And I think the weather's um, looking good for next round at this stage. I know you're in... Wet old Sydney, Sam, where it's a city that I think should never host any form of cricket um, ever. Uh, so you'll you'll be you'll be hating that we're getting such lovely weather here in Adelaide. Not hating it. Delighted that cricket is being played, Lewis, and it's Very actually been a diplomatic. been a great day. And I think there might be some more rain forecast this weekend for WBBL. So uh, and I think that what's the stat? There was four washouts in the first five years of WBBL, and there's been eight already this season. <laughs> so. 
Uh, just you just re- shouldn't be allowed to host cricket. No, they shouldn't be allowed to host club cricket and any kind. You just can be disappointed. No, some of the great moments in Australian cricket happened in Sydney. Michael Bevan's last ball four. Steve Waugh. Steve Waugh hitting the last ball of the day for four. I mean, seriously. There's just, I could rattle them off, but I, you know, can't just. Michael Clark, 329. We could have had three Headingleys in the last 10 years, for all we know, but, you know, Sydney was too busy raining. When was the last one? Oh, yeah, last, that was a couple of summers ago, wasn't that against India? Yeah, okay. Spent a few washouts. But anyway, um, it's good. Rain's good, like rain. Um, Lou, what's next True. in the Shield world? Yeah, Sam, so it's pretty interesting that the the top of the Shield ladder, he's got WA who played um, one more game than Queensland and New South Wales. They're sitting on top, and then obviously Queensland and the Blues neck and neck, second and third. So you'd think one of them is, um, you know, kind of de facto first spot given you know they played one fewer game um and the Vicks didn't manage to win their first so um yeah it sets up a really interesting last round of the shield before they go into bbl kind of hubs and, and international kind of things like that so uh yeah tazzy are playing the blues tazzy will be maybe a little um little i don't know if disappointed is the right word but maybe cursing their luck a little bit playing at um that gladys elphick park which is Kind of proved the flattest and the, the toughest to kind of get a result in um, of the venues they've played at so far. But um, who knows, it might do more in the next round. But yeah, they, they're there um, for their third game out of four rounds against the Blues coming up. You've got the Redbacks are staying at Glenelg um, and they're going to play Queensland. So that's going to be a you know another tough one for South Australia and you know they'll be desperate to, to get some points. And the Vicks are playing WA at Karen Rolt Noble, uh, which uh, will be a really good one too. Outstanding. Lewis, thank you again for your time. Uh, always appreciate it. Likewise, Sam. It's uh, it's always a pleasure to uh, to speak to you from, from sunny Adelaide into rainy Sydney. And next time we chat, we'll bring up the category, which we were supposed to include this week, but I forgot, tall people doing things, because that has been a favourite of ours recently. And probably Cameron Green, Getting those wickets would have fallen into that category, but never mind. I'm sure here we'll feature next time. Yeah, it's um, we've maybe given too much rap to some of the smaller players, you know, the batters. And I got around spinners, so I'm, I'm a little bit disappointed in myself. I might need to just review my performance this week and, and think about how I can improve for, for the next time, Sam. Yeah, go and think about what you've done because that is it for this week's episode of the Unplayable Podcast. We will be back next week, but in between now and then, subscribe to this program and a scoop and for all your cricket news scores video highlights head to cricket.com.au and the CA live app How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.